Full Service Radio is supported by Compass, the future of real estate in the metro D.C. area and beyond. Discover more at compass.com. Tune in to Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. Hey, everybody. It's Nikki Nellis of Industry Night with Foodie and the Beast. Uh, once again, I am beastless. I know. It's terrible. It's uh, Todd Thrasher is in here with me. He's Unbelievable. Like, he never shows up. I'm really thinking that it's time for the show to just be Industry Night with Nikki Nellis, I right? <laughs> I think it's time. Uh, I am really ready to do that. So I'm really excited today. I mean, first of all, Todd Thrasher is in here with me. He is the spirited advisor here at the Line Hotel for Eric Bruner Yang's uh, Brother and Sisters Concepts. And his cocktails are always fabulous. But if you haven't seen it online yet, you will certainly see it on Wednesday in the New York Times, where he is featured with his new distillery. You want to tell us a little bit? Uh, craziness. New York Times and me. Who knew? Uh, um, I did. I <laughs> knew. Thank you. Yeah. So I don't know if you've heard, but I'm opening a rum distillery and tiki bar. Yes, I yeah. have heard. So we're at, uh, I now have a real address, 1130 Main Avenue, Woo-hoo! Southwest. If you are just driving by on the Case Bridge, you can look uh, to the right. There's a smokestack that says, Make Rum, Not War. Oh, my God. I love it. So you can see a little advertising trying to build the brand. Mm-hmm. And so, Is that our hashtag? Hashtag. Make love. Make rum. Make rum. Make, well, make love. Make love. Wait. Make rum. Okay. Make, make, make rum, rum. Not, not war. war. Right. Okay. We got it. Yeah. Got the hashtag. Yeah. Okay. Great. <laughs> hashtag Thrasher's Rum. Right. Okay. At, at Thrasher's Rum. And, and today's, I, I brought, I was in the mood for Tiki since... The article came out, and uh, but this is a cocktail, an old, old tiki cocktail mm-hmm. from the, the golden age of tiki in the 1950s. This is called the Colonel Tea. Okay. And the Colonel Tea is a lot of bourbon. It's about two and a half ounces of bourbon. I was more in a rum mood today. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is a bunch of rum, two and a half ounces of my favorite rum in the world, Eldorado five-year-old. Woo. A little apricot uh, liqueur from Luxardo, and then uh, lime, um, a little bit of lime juice and a lot of pineapple juice. Well, let me ask it you. It is boozy. It's very boozy. It's but very boozy. So I think when I think of a tiki drink, my head goes right to rum. Mm-hmm. It just seems that tiki and rum go hand in hand. Correct. But are there, is bourbon used yeah, in a lot of tiki drinks? A, a lot of bourbon, a lot of um, like licorice flavored things also, absinthe, Pernod, mm-hmm. chartreuse is used. Um, not so much tequila, but gin is is high, high in there also. Interesting. So it's everything. Okay. Yeah, everyone, of course, thinks of rum and tiki, but it, right. is, it is everything. But now when you open up your distillery, um, I mean, it is a massive property. Yeah, three bars. Right. So is there a tiki component within that? How does it work? So the whole bar will be called Tiki TNT. Mm-hmm. Um, the rooftop bar will kind of be the most tiki-esque. We'll have um, a rattan ceiling up there. Mm-hmm. Um, but downstairs, it's going to be much more of a Polynesian feel than tiki. Okay. You know, when we say tiki, we think of the 1950s Americana Trader tiki. Vicks. Trader Vicks. Trader yep. Vicks. I call it cheeky tiki, which I love it. It's I go to Archipelago all the time. It's my favorite bar in D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, but, shout out to Owen. Yeah, shout out to Owen and Joey and them. Um, but... This is kind of me in my... I'm a big scuba diver. Right. So this is kind of my world travels of where I've been. So there's a lot of influences of bars in Fiji, North Sulawesi, Tahiti. It's more of like a Polynesian bar than a tiki. What we know as America's tiki. If you look up the the definition of tiki in the the dictionary, it says an idol or a god. But Mm -hmm. we think of tiki as Don the Beachcomber and Trader Vic and things like that. So... I think of the Brady Bunch show when they go to Hawaii. Yes, That's what I think of. That's what everyone thinks of. <laughs> of our age. Right. I mean, I mean, I'm showing my age, but yeah. that is totally what so I think of. We'll definitely have a lot of tiki statues and tiki gods <laughs> hanging around. Yeah. And some hula girls. Excellent. Um, so what are we thinking of for the opening? You know, September now. September? September. Okay. It's a new word. It is a new word. Yeah, we... Um, we're moving fast. All the bars are framed in. The I can't, I have to say yeah. for the record, I can't believe how fast you're moving because yeah. you showed me the designs back in January yeah. and you're like, yeah, we're going to open up like at the end of summer. I was yeah. like, maybe. The distiller's done already. Insane. Downstairs, the distiller's done. So we'll, are you producing? No, not yet. We can't until uh, 
we get certificate of occupancy. We haven't. I have not hooked up the stills, but everything's framed in. I'm waiting for the chiller mm-hmm. to be delivered for the fermenters. And but as soon as that gets done, I'm gonna. My father and I are gonna learn to hook up a still. I can't wait. I figure it's best for me to do it because when it when it breaks, I'm gonna have to f- fix, fix it. Fix it, of so course. I'm just and just um, you know, the two people I have in studio with me today are architects uh, and have their hands in lots of restaurants mm-hmm. in and around D.C. and, of course, across the nation. Um, but can you just... It's a very big still, right? It's 200 gallons, mm-hmm. so it's big. I yes, guess. it's big. It's about 10 feet... No, 13 feet tall, about mm-hmm. 7 feet wide, and then I have four 200-gallon fermenters that are about 10 feet tall, 5 feet wide. And But the space itself is tiny. It's urban distilling, at its finest. We only have about 970 square feet of actually distillery space. Wow. And within that space, we're doing a retail shop also. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be tight. Barrels going way up in the ceiling. We have 60-foot ceilings in the distillery, so we're going to take barrels up as high as we possibly can. Great. Um, so, yeah. Exciting. And then upstairs, three bars. Now, is this cocktail going to be on the menu there? Or is it just a, a whim? I actually just got my, I have a, a lady that helped do all the menu design here. Uh-huh. And she's doing my menu design. And she just sent back the menu to me right now. Okay. And I gave her a bunch of cocktails that I just wanted mocked up just so I have room. And this was one of them on it. Oh. So I really was like, oh my God, I love the, the menu's crazy. It's so I can't great. Wait. Um, so this will probably be on there. All right. Well, cheers. All right. Have Thanks. fun, y'all. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for joining See us. See you next week. Yes, you bet. Absolutely. That was Todd Thrasher, the spirited advisor here at the Line Hotel. He makes fabulous cocktails, but soon we're going to see him at his distillery at the Wharf. Um, and he really gave us a terrific segue because his space is massive, absolutely massive, a little like heart pounding, like, oh my God, massive. Uh, and in with me today to talk about some of the massive spaces that have been opening up around D.C., but not just in D.C., but nationally, are architects Allison Cook and Chris Pelly? Pelly. Okay, just making sure I'm saying it right. I didn't check with you before the show. And uh, they are with uh, Core Architecture and Design, and you have seen their hands all over the city. And one of the reasons why I wanted to book them today is because what's happening in the D.C. landscape, and and nationally, trend-wise, is that you are seeing restaurants doing really interesting design elements but then you see these trends like a plant wall or like for a while everything was like blonde wood and I wanted to have you both in here today to talk about first of all the projects obviously that you're you're working on but also how these trends begin and then how they evolve you know so that you so that the restaurants you're working with don't look like every other restaurant all of a sudden you know all of a sudden you walk into some place and every everybody starts looking the same and then how you evolve them so that they can change and become their own uh, personality, so to speak. So I want to start with you, Allison. Let's just talk about your background just a little bit. All right. Um, well, I'm a partner at CORE and mm-hmm. the director of hospitality design there, and I'm an interior designer by training, so that makes me a little different than the other three partners at CORE. Okay. Um, and so I've been doing restaurant design um, and hospitality design in general for probably about almost 12 years now. And I think I've known you since, so, like, yeah. for 12 years. Yeah. I think we met... Since I was a baby restaurant right, designer. Right, yeah. like right when you started. Okay. <laughs> and before that, I was doing um, corporate interior design for about seven years. Okay. So decided to shift more in that hospitality focus um, and have really enjoyed it. And so some of the things that I've gotten to work on um, while at CORE, and a lot of them with my brother in architecture there, Christopher Pelly, um, mm-hmm. mini bar we worked on for um, Chef Jose Andres, of course, mm-hmm. and we worked on Cotton and Reed Distillery distillery together his which is another fabulous distillers space, right yeah, um in dc right. but uh yeah recently well we've we've worked with you know the high end and you know the emerging restaurateur which is always really exciting for us so when you start to talk about an aesthetic um and how you determine that a lot of it is based for us around co-creating something special with our clients Mm -hmm. so that makes us a little bit unique in that you know we're not you don't hire core for a certain style we really can flex within any kind of aesthetic space and it really needs to drive like what is right for their brand and their clientele so that's how we try to steer clear so much of like trend-based design and Mm -hmm. really keep it like relevant 
um, to the neighborhood, to the client, um, and so forth. But we also recently finished um, at Hilton headquarters the social, which is a combination of their global headquarters, a food hall, which I know we'll talk about the trends right. of that, right? Um, uh, for their team members, as well as a co-working space and an outdoor terrace. So that's like a, another giant um, combination space that we can. Well, talk yeah, because I really want to get to, and we off air we were talking about all these sort of trends that are out there right now, and I think for a workspace. You know, with the WeWorks that are out there right now and sort of these huge Google properties, things of that nature, that for people who can afford it, what they're trying to, uh, you know, have available as a part of the aesthetic design is this sort of free flow, you know, we have a kitchen for you and you can Mm -hmm. eat here and the food is going to be good because it's chef driven and there's an outdoor space. Um, And I think you're seeing so much more of that. We'll, we'll get to that yeah. later because I think that's a very interesting topic. Chris, let's get a little bit of, a, of your background and sure. design background. Um, Christopher Pelli. Uh, oh, Christopher. Uh, sorry. Uh, you know, not a big deal. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, I I'm, was one of those weird people that knew I was going to be um, in architecture and design from, you know, age 12. Were you always scribbling? Were yeah, you just I'm, a I drawer? Morphed, I morphed from wanting to be, you know, like... Indiana Jones into architect okay. directly, you know, at a young Makes age. Makes sense. <laughs> um, was working for a, a structural engineer, actually, while I was still in high school, um, college, and mm-hmm. did that through uh, summer, you know, summer internship programs, and then moved to D.C. in 2006, um, and actually was working at CORE in 2007. Um, Allison and I did uh, the first Founding Farmers concept together. That was the first project that we worked on. The one uh, on the waterfront? Uh, no, the original no. concept, which was in the IM, IMF2, um, the, one on the, the one on the waterfront was still Agraria at the time. Oh, Agraria. Yeah, but that was Agraria. I mean, but Agraria yeah. was them. Yes. Yeah, it was the same thing. Same operator. Okay. It yes. was the same operator. Um, so that's what I thought you meant. But you mean the very first. Long, long story. Then. Yes. <laughs> okay. okay, sorry. Very long story. Okay. Um, yeah, more, more, more uh, substantial and recently um, you know as Allison mentioned mini bar cotton and reed was a big um, mm-hmm. a big one for us uh, 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 in sort of that um, style of smaller um, intimate quaint projects um, larger projects like you said you know West End Library with DCPL that we just finished last year oh um, that's has, a fabulous has property a huge F&B part of, program as part of it where they're literally encouraging right, that's people the to take Australian coffee company right yeah. that's in there what's it called blue, blue. that's a bluestone bluestone thank like, you everything's blue, blue now blue, right blue <laughs> note bluestone like blue yes. something I knew yeah. it was something yeah and, that's and a fabulous the, property the, the yeah. big part of that being that they're encouraging people to take food and beverage into the library right now. which was such a no-no for yeah, so long exactly. Right. So, um, you know, so we're seeing that concept over and over again. As you mentioned, co-working space. I'm doing. We're doing a, um, a confidential client where they're bringing F and B program into a kind of the next step after we work mm-hmm. co-working um, projects. We're getting, you know, multifamily is now including F and B as part of their program. It's an amenity that has been. Um, but know, don't you think it's time? That, like to me. The first time I went into a WeWork space, I'm just going to start there. But the first time I went into a WeWork space, I mean, I was like, do I need a badge? Because I'm too old to be in here. I mean, everybody was so young. (laughs) But what I thought was really fascinating about it, um, because my son was one of the early ones who, like, joined it when it first opened in the... Because he was out in L.A. There was one in L.A. And he joined it out there. And then when he came to D.C. And we went in together. You know, there was this massive kitchen and, you know, the pulls for beer and coffee like good coffee and then a selection of snacks and there was um programming you know there was going to be food trucks at lunch and there was going to be a a networking session for cocktail hour and you know every day there was something going on and um and then there were people actually working and what was interesting to see like all the you know pretty couches there was a real beautiful design element and people are just sitting there with their headphones in working on their laptops or they're sitting outside and i I just, it was a very big aha moment for me because you could see, like, that's the future. This is the way people are going to want to work. They're not going to want to work in these closed cubicles anymore. I mean, it doesn't even make any sense, right? So are you guys seeing that in some of the projects that you're working with? Yeah, and I mean, Core also does workplace design. It's not a huge part of what we do, but Mm -hmm. we are seeing that, um, and the whole point of doing 
the social at Hilton, their kind of co-working and food hall space is that they wanted to encourage like, and that's a big corporation, right? So it's very Huge. different than like an independent consultant that works at a WeWork. But I think the trend that you're seeing is people want to um, have the opportunity for that social collision, as we call it in right. the industry. So right. it's sort of like, oh, I, I want to work um, alone, but in a social environment, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so you feel a part of that activity and that buzz. Um, and I think that it just creates for those moments of like happenstance where you can meet somebody that you didn't intend to meet, make a business connection. And so um, a huge driver and kind of attractor to spaces like that is food and beverage. So it's just kind of a natural um, marrying of those things. So for that project specifically, what did the food and beverage look like? For the Hilton project? Yeah, I'm just sort of curious. So they have, let me count, one, two, three, four, five, six different um, stalls, we'll call it. Okay. Um, and those stalls were developed. Actually, that is an instance of a food hall that is operated by a single operator, which is actually Sodexo. And they do a lot of these, you know, corporate kind of food hall mm -hmm. um, pieces. They run them and operate them once they are done developing them. And they worked with the Hilton Food and Beverage team. In this instance, they already had people in um, the office building mm -hmm. and they kind of pulled the building population and said, hey, what do you want to what do you want you know if you could have ever, anything and again like that's an office environment where you're in Tyson's Corner in McLean if you go to get food you're getting back in your car mm -hmm. so they've got a somewhat kind right, of you're not walking you're not walking there. anywhere you're not walking right um, and so they really got a huge response to that and what's been really interesting is that the stations range from like an international station which rotates once a week they totally change the menu out to like a basic kind of grill you know a salad station that's similar to like a sweet green operator they've got mm -hmm. a big pizza oven so they've kind of hit on different segments of food and beverage that make it really diverse um, to keep people's interest so so that was the way that they approached it um, mm -hmm. and what was really right for them. And their revenue has, they're doing 30% more than what they projected and they only opened in October of last Isn't year. Isn't that amazing though? But doesn't that so, say if you give the people what they want, yeah, and it will work? And even in that area of Tyson's Corner and McLean, there are people walking to this food hall, which is in the first floor of an office building. Right. Um, there's also a, a fully licensed Starbucks that we incorporated as part of that design as well. I mean, that makes which sense. Which is a huge draw. But um, people are walking from neighboring office buildings I mean, to come all over there. I mean, the shit that Starbucks gets. Yeah. Everybody still wants it. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like, everybody, they know it. They know what they're getting. It's consistent. And it's, it fascinates me yeah. that, you know, people will poo-poo all over the coffee or whatever it is, but everybody still goes to Starbucks. Well, and in the layout of that space, you have kind of two entry points, but we intentionally put the Starbucks, like, in the middle okay. to draw people further into the space. Smart. Right, because so, if not, they're just going to the Starbucks and they're and getting they're out. Leaving, you put the, and you put not the milk at the back of the grocery store. Right. <laughs> Very, very true. All right, so let's get into a little bit of, of uh, restaurant. We went, sort of went off on a tangent here, but I'm fascinated by that whole concept. Let's talk about restaurant design and sort of where you guys see where, uh, where design is right now for restaurants. I mean, I know you said that each client is very different and that you're not known for a specific way of doing things, but... Um, what is like what do you see what are some of the things that you're seeing especially around dc at this time i mean one of the things we're seeing is that um you know cost of construction um cost per square foot triple net leases for these restaurants they're now you know trying to think about how they're becoming uh they're a coffee bar in the morning they're a deli at lunch they are a you know a yeah, you full service restaurant right. and then they're a lounge at night mm -hmm. um, and they're having to you know, come up with revenue during revenue streams during all of those different times. You're seeing dual concepts, not out of a sort of curiosity of, oh, you know, maybe I can do a seafood place on the first floor and like a dive bar on the second floor, but as a necessity to actually having uh, to pay the bills. You know, the other thing we're seeing is that you're getting into 10-year leases um, on some of these projects or some of these these properties where you get a 10-year lease and you need to be thinking about what you're going to do to transition in year five. Right. You're not going to be doing the same thing that you're doing. Most likely. Most likely. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, you're still going to have the space and you're still going to have to kind of, you know, come up with a, a way that you're not just sort of repainting it and then, you know, hiring a new chef, but you're actually kind of transitioning in and moving with trends in the same space and not So are you, when you're out. meeting with, 
potential clients and current clients, when you're meeting with them, are they, are they aware of that? Or are you educating them on that? I mean, that's, that's part of why, that's part of how we can blend in sort of that base building and development knowledge mm-hmm. that we have with these and, and you know, kind of in, I mean, do you enhance have, them, their, their savviness, you know. Right, but are some of them like, no way, like this is going to be the hottest thing <laughs> for 10 years. I, like, hear, hear me now, believe me later. Right, but, you I know, mean. That's what, it's gonna <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, I think it's excellent advice. You're saying like things change, taste yeah. change, trends yeah. change. Money changes, yeah. so it's excellent advice. If, I'm just curious how amenable if, people are I mean, to that. If we, if we were working on whatever the this year's Pantone cover, color was, you know, for all of the restaurants we were doing that year, like that, we wouldn't be successful. Okay, for people who don't know, what's a Pantone color? It's it's uh, it's the color every well. So what I'm re- specifically referring to is they release the color of the year, like millennial year. pink. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think this millennial. year it was like a purple of some yeah. sort or something. But yeah, Pantone's like a color system. So every right. year they're like, this is this year's color. Right. This is the color. Yeah. Right. So it's like if we're if we're constantly chasing trends, but we're not designing something that makes good business sense for our clients, then that's an issue. And like Christopher said, we'd be out of business pretty darn fast if all of our restaurants were failing after year one that we designed. So right. It doesn't work in your yeah, favor. I mean, it's, it's that it's, deeper it's, operational conversation. Right. I mean, with that's them. part of that is just being, you know, DC residents and really caring up about the community of mm-hmm. food and beverage you know, operators that, that are here. We go to these restaurants too. Right. You know, we give out, you know, advice to people that don't become our clients sometimes. And we say like, look, these are things that you need to look out for because you know, this is, these are some pitfalls that you're going to have, um, you know, come back to us after you've, you know, had those and, you know, maybe we can do right. round two with you or something like that. But ultimately that's our, our, you know, our, our long-term goal as a community here, not just having a bunch of restaurants that are just turning over, you know, year and year and year. Mm-hmm. Well, honestly, it doesn't make sense, not only for your business model or, and restaurant tour aside, like, of course they don't want to be closing, but it doesn't make sense for the real estate person either. I mean, it's, it's not in their best interest to put a restaurant in their property mm-hmm. that isn't going to make it. Well, and a lot of them are, deve- and them. Developers. <laughs> the royal them, the mm-hmm. developers. And I think we should make a distinction. Christopher and I were talking about this before the podcast, that not all developers are alike. Yep. Not all developments have the same goal, which mm-hmm. is a healthy thing to build, you know, texture and diversity in the city and our neighborhoods. Um, but they, developers are becoming extremely interested in the food and beverage scene, mostly because it is a draw to their properties. But I think they're also asking more of those questions about, okay, what role does that operator play in the overall community and the neighborhood I'm trying to create? Mm-hmm. Um, and really saying, okay, here's going to be my, my coffee shop. Here's what else they're going to do and contribute. And that's not overlapping with another operator. So, um, as Christopher said, as we're looking to work with developers in either re-envisioning their buildings or new construction, we're kind of saying like, all right, what's underserved here? What do we need to fit in to make it how can to we make be it appealing right for everyone right, to appeal the to the neighborhood? That makes sense. So that the, the operators can like compliment one another and not cannibalize one another. Well, I mean, you would think that would be a priority for most developers, but clearly, I mean, obviously it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, but tell me, so like, Let's say a restaurateur comes to both of you. How do you, let's start with the process. How do you work with somebody and say, um, hey, we'd like to work with you. How do you work with them to get to, how do you start with bare bones, I guess is the question. Like, how do you start with nothing? A big space with probably a column in the middle for no reason. Many columns. Right, many columns (laughs) that don't make sense that you have to add into the element. Um, And how do you help create that space? Well, a lot of times we'll meet with clients before they've signed their lease, mm-hmm. which is an excellent way to go about it. Okay. So, which a, a preferred way which to go about it? Which a preferred way for everyone, um, mm-hmm. because we can really walk a space with them and help identify anything that's not um, really defined in the work letter or the lease as they're as they're looking oh. through that. Because you know, a developer, like you said, they don't want a failing concept in their development. A restaurateur doesn't want to go out of business, space. right? And you know, it doesn't help us to go down a path designing something that the client can afford to build because you know 
there is a column in the way or they don't have the electrical service that they need. So mm-hmm. we can help them out there. Um, but then when it really comes down to creating the space, we have that kind of identity-based conversation with them. So we're asking questions kind of like what Christopher alluded to, which is, you know, what's your business model? Who's your clientele? Who are you trying to serve? Um, let's look around at this neighborhood. Um, how are you responding to guests in the neighborhood? Are you trying to be a destination or a regular spot? So really getting to the heart of those programmatic questions and operational questions, as well as what's your brand about? What was your inspiration for starting this concept in the first place? I mean, I think it's amazing that you ask those questions because I, I, I would bet that probably a quarter of the people you talk to didn't think that you were going to ask those questions and aren't really prepared with answers. Sometimes it's a very egocentric, a very ego-driven thing. I'm going to do this concept Mm -hmm. because it's what I want to do without any sort of wherewithal of, yes, but who else wants this concept? (laughs) Who else? Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm sure you, I mean, I I know you've been there. So I'm, do you know what I mean? So, like, mm-hmm. what is the response sometimes? What do you hear from people? Yeah, I mean, you know, why why do you want 300 seats as opposed to having 150 seats? Well, just 50. Whatever, what about 50? Wouldn't yeah. 50 whatever, be nice? Whatever it happens to be. I think 50 is good for you. <laughs> you should do 50. <laughs> and really, there's, you know, you, there's everybody has different backgrounds as well. I mean, um, you know, clients who have come from large chain restaurant backgrounds and then mm-hmm. some that are you know they've worked their way up from a line cook to you know starting their new their own new place um you know so there's there's an education part of it that's mm-hmm. that's you know that's very important but then you know really just we're listening most of the time we're not actually you know trying to fit you know square peg in the round hole most mm-hmm. of the time and say like oh actually tiki's really in and you have to do tiki right now right like that's not how it works right, right. <laughs> um it is really in. Rum's really in. All those things are great. But, but we, to, but we I, already have a tiki as, spot. As, as we got one. <laughs> yes. We got it. Yeah. Todd's got that covered. We're cotton and reed. Right. Um, oh, yeah. right. Sorry, you're calling <laughs> cotton and reed. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> but I don't think it's cotton and reed as much as there, tiki. They're see, more rum. That's a, that's a, that is a classic. That is a perfect example. Okay, so everything, in, everything there, which was rum, their entire concept is, this, is scientific. The, the science behind the distilling, not necessarily the, the kind of emotive, you know, tiki right, what's happening with thing, it, right. Um, but they are very, very specific about the types of, you know, phenyl alcohols that they're mm-hmm. getting off of this and, and how they're mixing combinations. They're, they're able to make things taste like bananas that aren't made out of bananas. Right. Right. And that's, that's what they do well. And so that was part of the concept, you know, and we were doing the sort of ideation of what, what they really were. It was all of these just, concepts of science and botanicals and um you know it's in this raw industrial space it had nothing to do with polynesia or any of the any of the other things that you right, they're just making, but they're just making rum and you know another big thing is you know like lucas smith's cocktails are like there's hardly any sugar in there mm-hmm. he's very works with bitter flavors and profiles uh their rum is not overly sugared it's actually there's hardly any sugar in any right. of their rum so they're they're trying to break out of that um that concept that people have about rums and that they need to be these sweet drinks that you have only, you know, during the holidays. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, that, that dark rum can be had during the summertime. Like sure. you have in Jamaica. Right. Where it's hot all the time. Right. Like, you pour it over ice. Right? So um, that, that, those were the subtleties of just kind of talking to them about their brand is, okay, well, that's great. Like, how do we make that read in the space, mm-hmm. um, if we were to just come up with a concept and say like, "Oh, this thing's about rum," we're, gonna, we're all going to wear, you know, uh, Hawaiian t-shirts, and and it's going to be. I'm going to wear coconuts personally, yeah. but okay, go ahead. <laughs> yes, right. Well, their space too is a perfect example to keep going with that about how we always say, "Don't fight the space, don't fight the architecture of an existing space, don't mm-hmm. you know, unless you have." six million dollars um they said to move the pole in the center of the room yeah exactly um they were like hey we have this still it's really tall like Mm -hmm. taller than our ceiling and luckily there was an an old elevator overrun in -hmm. the space off to one side um and so he said looks like you know it's going there and their big thing was kind of revealing the distilling as well so if you walk in there, you'll notice we put the the main entry door on access with the still, so you see the still down the space. So then mm-hmm. that naturally laid out, okay, the bar will be to the left, you know, and 
so things like that as well will inform the space as well as you know their desires and their program and the flow of right because you need. have to work with what you have yeah i assume okay yeah. we're going to take a quick break when we come back what i'd like to start with is you had an opportunity with your with that property because it was an older space that had mm-hmm. to be renovated but most properties that you're probably working with around dc right now are not old it's all right. brand new. So we're going to get into that when we get back. This is Nikki Nellis. I'm beastless, and I'm enjoying it. Uh, we'll be back. Industry Night. The song you're listening to is Bring a Little Love by Kido. That's K-I-E-D-O. And if you're tuned in now, you're listening to Full Service Radio. music. Hey, it's Nikki Nellis with Industry Night with Foodie and the Beast. Once again, I am without uh, David Nellis, who joins me from time to time as my co-host. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. Uh, But I'm so um, thrilled today. First of all, we were joined by Todd Thrasher earlier in the show, who regaled us with uh, a fabulous tiki concoction with uh, his favorite rum and also told us more about his new distillery opening up in the wharf uh, sometime in, I'm going to say October. He said September, but I think we'll be lucky if it's October. Uh, But we can't wait for it to happen because I am with two people who absolutely know that when a restaurateur says when the restaurant is opening, you might as well add (laughs) a lot of time to it. Because for whatever reason, whether it's permits or construction delays or whatever it is, it doesn't happen on time. So I have with me Allison Cook and Christopher Pelly. They are with Core Architecture and Design. And we're talking about all the design elements that are happening in the DC market right now. Well, we're talking about lots of things. But more specifically, what we started to talk about right before we uh, took a commercial break was there is so much construction going on in DC right now. When you drive down to DC, all you see is cranes. There are just cranes everywhere. So State either, bird. State bird. Yes, I love that. <laughs> so either they are demolishing current buildings or creating buildings out of thin air like they did at the wharf. Right? I mean, a lot of that was just brush or whatever. Mm-hmm. and uh, Or like Nats area, Nats stadium. Um, so you have all these new buildings and... I feel like the trend, I'm sure it started before this, but I feel like the trend for these massive restaurants started about the time that Carmine's and um, what's it called, Joe's? Oh, Joe Stonecrab. Joe Stonecrab. Like, you had these couple of concepts that were chains that were used to being very, very big, Mm -hmm. and they both 
do very well financially. And I think a lot of uh, people in development and real estate were like, yeah, that's what I want. Mm -hmm. I want big ass restaurants that are going to make that kind of money. And now you just see these massive properties all over the city, and now you guys are designing them. (laughs) How's that going? How's that for you? (laughs) they're, They're very stable. You know, Mm -hmm. and, you know, in a lot of ways, restaurants kind of were the savior of retail, you know, when big, when, when, you know, the Amazons and being able to order everything online kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, killed, killed traditional. um, Amazon killed the Radiar Star. Is that what we're saying? Mercantile. Exactly. (laughs) Mercantile. uh, that's my music dis- knowledge. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's the only one. <laughs> I'll try to come up with more throughout right, the show. We'll, 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 we'll cover that for you when we come. Thank by you. The, the um, you know that that restaurants were the savior of, of retail in a lot of ways for these developers because it was a experiential retail, not mercantile retail. So mm-hmm. you, you know the only things that you could get were big box chains, uh, CVSs, and Targets, and that kind of thing. So. Um, aside, you know, aside from just the the huge impact that fast casual has had on restaurants, uh, mm-hmm. the restaurant scene with um, you know, kind of explosion of, of uh, fast casuals, you're really only doing three thousand square foot fast casuals at a time. Who's filling that that gap in between of these kind of ten thousand, you know, to fourteen thousand square foot uh, retail spaces? Well, but. You bring up a good point, but my question is, is, I mean, yes, I know a lot of people order off of Amazon, but when you're building these properties like Pike and Rose out in Rockville or the Wharf down in D.C. or any of these sort of, you know, I call it the three R's. I mean, I'm not in your business, but being in the industry, you know, it's like you want residences, retail and restaurants like you you want them all together. And the problem is it, what it looks to me is, is that the people in development are like, yes, yeah, screw retail. I can't make as much from the retail. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't even offer the spaces to provide. Like, even at the wharf, there's a couple of retail spaces. And I walked into one really fabulous dress shop down there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was looking at it. And I was like, the space is too big. I mean, yeah. it's too big. And their stuff is very expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I believe that they are not going to make it because they don't need a space that large. Mm-hmm. And it just feels like they've been, they've been set up for the fall. Yeah. Right? Well, and we also were, we're working with a client right now who is, I guess you could call them experiential retail, over at Union Market, uh, dry. They're actually a dry cleaning business. Okay. So when you talk about How retail, is that experiential not food and beverage. Sorry. <laughs> But I mean, everybody like, needs dry cleaning. Everybody That's, needs dry cleaning. And right. think about what your experience usually is with dry cleaning. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's terrible, right? So there's room for improvement. But they, you know, they didn't have brick and mortar. I they mean, now that like, you say that, yes, there is room for improvement. Yeah. But I don't know that I think about room for improvement when I go drop off my dry cleaning. No. Do you know you, what I mean? You're like, you want to get in and out. Yeah, get me in and out of this as fast as possible. But their whole premise, and I feel like a lot of um, retailers hardline soft goods retailers or pop-ups are integrating into their space if they have these spaces that are too large is a community engagement piece right so an opportunity to do workshops there have gatherings spaces that can be rented out i mean that goes to kind of your earlier point about co-working is like people want that gathering space so the strike cleaner is creating space for people to come and have like seminars about how to shine your shoes or how to have your suit tailored things like that so but that's smart yeah and community I mean, engagement is absolutely necessary and I think a lot of people are doing that you know a lot of um I was just speaking with someone who has like a t-shirt shop um and they're like yeah we've we've had community events here people are you know based on the shirts we're selling you know they they want to it attracts a certain type of demographic they want to be there and gather and and meet in in that space so I feel like for those people that have taken on more space they're like how is it saleable how can I make money off of this how Mm -hmm. can I um create something out of too much space well so when we talk about these uber large spaces when you guys walk in are you like yummy like this is like dessert like we get this massive space and we get to design it or are you like oh fuck this is so big just like means the where money's do we gonna go? run out faster right yeah. right yeah. yeah they don't exactly. have enough money for right? it yeah well, especially like i just feel like some of these spaces are so you know they're multiple floors which right there like gives me big challenge you know heart pounding mm-hmm. like how do you how do you make sure people get up? How do you make sure people get down? What's the fl- I, flow is so important. So how do you work with all that? How do you, I know you're working 
first of all, most of the time you're working with people who haven't done a restaurant before. So you're their, you're their seeing eye dog. You have to provide them with, you know, they think, oh, I want a plant wall, right? Everybody wanted a plant wall. Like mm-hmm. it's in every Earth restaurant. tree. Right. Oh, right. <laughs> Trees like, you know, and listen, I, I love me some little leaf, but you know, it's been done. So how do you say to somebody, yeah, the plant wall, I hear you. We're going to do something. We're going to, we're going to judge that up. We're going to do something different. Specifically, how to say to yeah, say like no. how do you? Well, how do you <laughs> we don't really, say? We, do you, really, we don't really say no. We, we, do you, well, how do you redirect? How do you redirect? I mean, a lot of a lot of what we do is is try to get a little bit beyond. Oh, here's the plant wall. What specifically about it is like get to the essences of like what it is that you feel when you see a plant wall, or mm-hmm. why is it that that is important to what you're you know F and B concept is, or you're actually using it for food production, or you're actually using it for some you know, tangible, authentic way towards your concept, not just sort of that it's a thing that I saw on Pinterest and then that's what Or in every restaurant. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're in a lot of restaurants. Do you want to know what I see when I see a plant wall, like a huge wall of plants? Do you want to yeah. know what I see? Dust. 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 Yeah. That's all I see. I'm like, Lots of dust. if you're not dusting it, get rid of it. Yeah. It's disgusting. And, and dust make, that wall. That's ma- like taxidermied animal trends of oh, like yes. dust everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> that, remember that was like 10 years ago. It's like, oh yeah, now you I have did, all these dusty animal heads. We have, right. like bars. It's disgusting. We have a responsibility to bring up maintenance and long-term maintenance of not mm-hmm. just like what things look like, but say you have a scrubber in, you know, because the, uh, you know, you don't, uh, to back up a second scrubber is basically taking your um, your kitchen exhaust and taking the smoke smell and grease out of it before it's exhausted and mm-hmm. places like even large places like Hamilton live they have a scrubber that they have several scrubbers actually I would that, imagine that, so that hit uh, that just spew out onto F Street above the parking garage entrance and if you walk over there you'll see it mm-hmm. now that's just because they couldn't get their exhaust to the roof so how do you get Oh, How do you get sure. a kitchen into in a, com- a commercial uh, but kitchen so is that into a, res- legal? In a restaurant? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. But you have to maintain the so scrubber. you got to maintain it. So which is like 20 grand a year to a clean year the of, filters. Of taking and doing, mm. doing that kind of maintenance. Yeah. So not just like, oh, yeah, you've got to have to water these plants, guys, because it's looking a little <laughs> nasty in here. Listen, like, listen to me. Change I'm, your filters or your restaurant's like, going to fill with smoke. I'm but, like, I'm yes. complaining about the dust. And you're like, no, no, no. It's like they need to change those filters and clean it or else it's 20 grand. That's a big difference. It's a, huge, it's a huge deal. Uh-huh. And it's technology that not everybody's familiar with or even knows exists. Um, yeah, so it, a lot of this even is educating not just restaurateurs, educating developers, because developers are like, cool, I got 7,000 square feet in this building. I want to put a restaurant in here because unlike you know, traditional retail, I can actually charge more per square foot right. on the rest of this building. So I can, you know, basically, uh, you know, I can break even on a 7,000 square foot lease down here and put some. And you're like, where's the exhaust going? And yeah. I can put a buck, a buck 50 on every other square foot in this sure. half million square feet. Now I'm actually doing so. That's the amenitization of restaurants that has kind of happened. The right. explosion of restaurants in DC is not just coincidence. So how do you do that? And then they say, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to put a restaurant in here. There's no way to exhaust the kitchen. There's no, you know, there's, there's none of the actual infrastructure that's there to support a real restaurant. That's a problem. So. Right. Well, and, and those were the exact challenges from 2501 M street where Nobu is mm-hmm. because we did the repositioning of that building to condos from office and okay. PRP, the developer said, we shall have Nobu in this building. And God, the I have floor so much to, to say about that. But go ahead. Were what, like nine feet, maybe? It was definitely the shortest slab to slab that we've ever put a restaurant yeah. in. Yeah. So okay. To create no like extra that space in that as in an that amenity ceiling. to sell the condos, it it happened, and it was expensive. But you know, we had to find those creative ways to make that happen for that building so that they could position the building the way that they wanted when we repositioned it for all the new condos, the high-end luxury condos on West End. So That's really fascinating. Yeah. Um, I don't think people think about that. Mm-hmm. Well, people don't. People not in the restaurant industry or design world, when you walk into a restaurant, you're all just about, I'm in the restaurant, right? Yeah. And this is what it is. And um, I think one of the conversations that, are, that, that you're seeing more and more, whether in uh, food blogs or people talking in general because it is getting pricier to dine out even in the fast casual concepts Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. i'm a full supporter of i mean dc has a plethora of fabulous fabulous concepts um and they train here too i mean fast fast casual concepts come here to dc specifically to to test market of course so we had the uh, ceo of honey grow Mm -hmm. on this show Mm -hmm. um 
a while back because my question to him, I mean, aside from his concept, blah, 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 all that good stuff, my question to him was, this is, DC is a loyal dining city. We like our people. Mm -hmm. We like our chefs. We like our concepts. So given that Kava and uh, Chaiko and... um, and sweet green. I mean, you have all these local and pizza, all yeah. these local concepts that are DC based. Like, how do you break in here with your concept from Philadelphia? Mm-hmm. I mean, we had a really good conversation, but it's it's tough. This is a tough. DC is a finicky market when it comes to outsiders. You can make it here, you can make it anywhere. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but yeah. it's true. We're very, very finicky about how people eat here, how people who come from out of town. And open up restaurants in the city. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Nobu. Not because I don't want yeah. it to succeed, but because he basically followed the same path that Elaine Ducasse did and Jean-Georges did. And that's a problem. Mm-hmm. DC, mm-hmm. it's not like that. DC is kind of interesting, too, in that there are such, I don't want to call them distinct neighborhoods, but I feel that every neighborhood in DC has great food and beverage. So to entice people to leave the neighborhood they either work or live in, it's a tough sell, you know, to make somebody go across town. But now, like, ride sharing. We could talk all day about all these different trends that are changing the way that we access different things in our city. Absolutely. Because transportation has changed in D.C. so much. that It's made it, it, it I Ubered here today from home. Yeah. And, or Lyft. I mean, I, you know, I used to drive down to D.C., park my car, go to my next place, park my car. I don't do that at all anymore yeah. because it's so affordable mm-hmm. to do. And Christopher and I were talking about this the other day. It's like, you know, to get out on H Street, like when I first moved over in the neighborhood in 06, it was like, okay, how am I leaving here safely right. when I right. need to leave? Like, <laughs> will a cab show up? It's right. like, oh, now you can get safely to and from basically any place. And so I think people are exploring different neighborhoods a lot more than they used to. Well, to try and concepts. just because I live in Kensington, but suburbia in general has greater access to the city mm-hmm. because, and this is not a slam on DC cabs, but maybe it is a little bit. 10 years ago at two o'clock in the morning, I could try hailing a cab to go home after a night out. And I could say, Hey, taxi, Mr. Taxi driver, will you please take me to Kensington? And he would say, I'm not driving there. Yeah. So I could be waiting an hour mm-hmm. for transportation home. And, you know, that's not the case anymore. Nobody, they don't turn you down yeah. because you put it all together. Well, I, I don't want, we can talk about this for a long time. <laughs> so I want to talk about food halls a little bit because in, uh, five years ago, mm-hmm. Union Market, the Eden's people opened up Union Market and it was sort of the first food hall for D.C., uh, an amenity project, uh, really, for that area, that mm-hmm. 11 acres, because they really want to make it like uh, the meatpacking district. Yeah. And um, they wanted to show people, if we build it, they will come. And people come. I mean, yeah. They came, they've come, they're there, and they did a lot of programming when they opened. And you guys are involved in a, a, a food and beverage product project that is, not a food hall per se, but similar. And, and what are you seeing with this trend? What, how do you guys feel about it at this point? I think the big draw about multi-venue concepts, we'll call them um, under one roof in general, is obviously variety, right? So mm-hmm. whether you're a family going there and you have to please several family members <laughs> or if you're like a group of friends, there's variety for everyone, which I think is a big draw. It's a social environment. Um, it's... And I think what's important about these concepts is to keep things fresh or rotating because the reason that you go to these markets traditionally, you know, was for convenience first, Mm -hmm. um, but also to explore and try something that you haven't tried before. So uh, I think at the heart of a lot of these these food hall concepts, people are trying to offer that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think the longevity of these will see play out in kind of how successful the actual operators are in maintaining but don't this you and also, responding But do you also think um, that the operators, it also, a lot of it depends on support because I think mm-hmm. what's interesting about these food halls as opposed to a food court, which is like yeah. a dirty word now, but um, <laughs> it's worse than any swear word. Uh, but, you know, a food hall, like when uh, Union Market opened, everything was super uber local. It was people who had names in the DC community yeah. and we talked about, it's not the spot, oh, the block, right? The, the block, block out, out in Annandale. Um, or I can't remember what the new one is out in um, Bethesda. But again, all of these feature local, mm-hmm. I don't want to say up and coming because not everyone 
in there as up and coming, but there are components where there are people who have these ideas and they want to execute them, but they really don't have the, yeah. you know, they don't know, they don't know how to cross their T's and dot their I's. So they need their support from these halls. It's a good jump from food truck to exactly. brick and mortar. And right? it, it was actually filling, it's plugging a hole and kind of filling a gap of risk that was, um, that was preventing a lot of these concepts from actually coming to fruition, right? They were, they were not ready, you know, for to, prime to, time to take that. Yeah. That next step mm-hmm. um, or, you know, maybe they just, they were just at Union Kitchen or just in a commissary um, and making, you know, kolaches. Right, you know, right, right, like, right, like Chris, right. That was yeah. what he's doing. And, you know, so um, it's it's a way to not have that, um, to, to not have to, you know, fulfill that commitment and kind of, you know, test it out. And, you know, even yeah. then there's, um, you know, well-known restaurateurs and concepts that are trying different concepts out and they don't, you know, they, they don't have the capacity maybe or, or the desire to go full time with it. But, you know, somebody wants to try a different food style, um, you know, they have that opportunity. So then as you know, from a developer standpoint, they're saying, OK, well, that's great. Now I have this relationship with somebody. And when it comes time for them to open their first restaurant, they're going to think of me. Boy, do I have some space. Yeah, for them. right. No, I think that's a really good point. Um, so you. So it does make sense that this trend does continue Mm -hmm. as long as it's well-managed. I think so. And I think that's a great point about the food trucks and also emerging fast casual concepts. Mm -hmm. You know, they get to cut their teeth in these things, kind Mm -hmm. of test out their product, see how people are responding to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really at the heart of the uh, multi-venue concept that is in for permit right now um, over at 1401 Pennsylvania Avenue. That's right across the street from Potomac Avenue Metro Stop. Hill East, if you will. Right. Um, and we're is doing that, that the moniker? With, um, is that what we're calling it? Yeah. I mean, I okay. think we're stretching Hill East a little far these days, but you know, whatever. It's Hill, happening. Hill East, Minnesota Avenue. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> It'll, I'm sure at some point a name will perpetuate for that, that mm-hmm. area. But um, over there for Michael Babin's group, Neighborhood Restaurant Group, you know, they were approached by the developer there, which is Cass Riggler um, mm-hmm. in this apartment building. And they said, hey, you know, we're really going to create an anchor at this end of the city uh, for this neighborhood. You guys are great at creating neighborhood hubs, anchors, like entering a neighborhood and making it really successful. Um, and they really wanted to take it on. But as part of building out this concept, they could have operated every single stall or every single venue themselves. Because right, they certainly have enough. They have enough to pull from. They do. Um, but I think one of the great things and one of the things that excites them that they would tell you is like, meeting these new people, um, giving them opportunities to kind of flourish or try things out. So I believe that they've, they've got the different, um, food products or kind of general menus Mm -hmm. that they want at each station or staller venue established, some of which they'll be operating themselves. And then others, they're kind of like looking for people to partner with, which I think is really exciting. I think that is exciting. It's good. Uh, I think it's, what it appears to be from the outside looking in is that more and more people want to do more and more partnerships. You know, you see more and more pop-ups or you see, yeah. you know, like Chico is such a great example. You know, on Friday nights, they invite in other chefs to do these sort of industry night kind of bacchanals, you know, where there's really terrific food and great beverages. And, you know, it's late night, but it's a real way to showcase what mm-hmm. other chefs are doing. And I think those partnerships are really important, but they help. Christopher, to what you were saying earlier, they really help create the next level. Like people are like, oh, I really like this and this is what I really want to do next. You know, and you guys help realize their vi- help them realize their vision with the different kind of um, projects that they're working on. So very quickly, before we have to wrap up the show, what are some of the current design trends other than the plant wall that uh, you see sort of or purple, whatever the Panatone color is right now, that you see sort of going to the wayside. And what are some of the what are some of the elements out there right now that you, whether it's fabrics or textures, that you're like, I love this. Like, like I want to see more of it, or I want to see it in other places. Hmm. Well, you talked about Instagrammable space before. Yes, before Instagram, this, right? So that which is, is a, a priority we get from everyone. Everybody has and to have a mural. We didn't talk about murals. Oh God, can we talk about? And we're sitting right next to a neon sign right now. Oh my God, everybody wants this. Everyone wants a neon sign, which but is the mystery. Direction thing but you it talk about. Photograph yeah. well. You can't <laughs> photograph it. Yeah, in which we say to the client, like, I, I understand you've created a Pinterest board of 
all the hot things right now, <laughs> but let's again talk about relevancy, right? And right. you can have something even better than a neon sign that speaks to your brand or your food concept or something mm-hmm. like that. So definitely we've seen the neon signs happen. Is over neon and over sign again. the new mural? Do you yeah. think neon sign is the new mural? Yeah, and we're all looking for what's He's like, next I don't know. I have no idea. That. No, yeah. I'm not going to talk shit about murals. I okay. know, I know I a lot of murals. murals. <laughs> no, and their stuff is great. But there has been, and it's not just locally. I mean, nationally. I mean, there has been a glut of fabulous murals. And the art is wonderful. But, you know, like at the... Oh, what's that space on 14th Street uh, that's under construction right now? The um, Oh, is it Whitman Walker? Whitman Walker. We are working on that. Are you really? We oh, sure my God. Yes. Yep. <laughs> that's We're doing so the construction administration right now. Our friends at No Kings did a large mural on this. Exactly. Side. Right? So what was it? It said work it or we work, work it. it. Work it, girl. Work it. It didn't say work it, girl. Mm-hmm. There was no girl in there. Yeah, it was on the, wasn't it? I it didn't it say was, girl. Did it? It said work it. I guess it was just work it. I thought it. that was on the ground. The girl was implied. Oh. <laughs> G, G, I think it was G-U-R-L. L on yeah. the ground? Okay, so that I didn't see, but I swear to God, we were at Cork when Cork was across yes. the street. We were just having a glass of wine. The amount of people who just walked by, put their shit down, and like stood there for 20 minutes taking pictures of themselves or having somebody yeah. take mm-hmm. pictures of them, I, it was insane. Yeah, I mean, that's you look at... Crystal City, JBG's got these huge, right. know, this sort of huge mega art program yeah. up on on these big brutalist buildings that they have in Crystal City, trying to draw some interest to it. I mean, it's a. I'd like to see more genuine arts programs, part of restaurant and F and B, and frankly, just public space in general, right? Um, as opposed to just sort of like the kitschy things and the sort of tongue in cheek stuff, but right. like actually exhibiting something out of like the immense local DC art scene or even regional scene, MICA included. Um, I think that that's something I'd like to see. I don't know if there's anything that I'm seeing that mm-hmm. that's, you know, I don't know. The trends, the trends, following the trends are just sort of following trends, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, I know, but is there anyone that you're like, Ugh, no, uh, absolutely not? Well, I, yeah, I mean, yes, the fig tree in the like all white space, you know, that's like, again, mm-hmm. the thing. But I think to, um, I don't know if it's a stylistic trend, but I think that we have moved into focusing a lot more on the richness of outdoor dining spaces in DC. Um, it's Not just DC. Everywhere. I mean, I, mean, I was just in Philly. Yeah. And what I found amazing, and it, I have to be honest, I love it, mm-hmm. was that there was barely a empty lot that didn't have something in it. Like there was an empty lot and some guys put up a shack and some, um, I hate the name of the game, cornhole yeah. things. And they put, they, thank you, whatever. I hate the name of that game. It's so stupid. There are a couple of Hoosiers over here. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And you know corn. We know corn. Okay, you know corn. So, uh, but, you know, and it was a brewery kind of, you know, it was a yeah. beer garden. And then, but there were regular outdoor spaces, because Philly's an older city, mm-hmm. um, especially, and it's, you know, more towers, obviously, than D.C., but plaza spaces that, forever had yeah. nothing but like a statue speaking mm-hmm. of art because they do have great art in Philly um, now there are couches and lounge chairs and sparkly lights and they're serving beer and wine mm-hmm. yeah it's I think that's an amazing trend I'm on board with that one yeah are you seeing more of that here in DC oh I mean we when we worked on silver uh, with those guys they were so focused on the outdoor cafe space and spending as much money as they did on the outdoor spaces on the indoor space fascinating um, we've seen that trend continue to grow over the last you know three four years and you get so much outdoor dining season in DC you do and so they've seen the monetary benefit to that and you know, yes, you can throw some cafe tables out there and string lights, but if you really make it as rich as the indoor space, an extension of that experience, mm-hmm. I mean, you'll, you walk past restaurants all the time where everybody's sitting outside and nobody's sitting inside. inside. Like that's the preference. Well, so. I was, I know you didn't work on this, but I was going to use Masseria as an example. Yes. I mean, the outdoor space at Masseria is mm-hmm. really yeah. and, phenomenal. And think, thinking yeah. about specifics of the comfort level that you think about on the interior of a restaurant outside and mm-hmm. you look at what like Dimitri and Ilya did at, at Dasha they they they, right. they brought this mm-hmm. like beer garden experience with the misters and the heaters and everything else to it that you know that made it pretty much work 
you know, comfortable all year round, right. including August, including, you know, opening up on nice <laughs> days in February. Right. Um, and so I, th- I think that comfort, like, okay, you can Instagram it. Cool. Right. But if you're there and it's hot as balls, <laughs> right. yeah. nobody, nobody yeah. is going to have nobody a wants to be experience, there. even right. if you Instagram that you were there, even if you got it on your story. This is what we were talking about yeah. earlier. It's right. not, it's not, there's, there's much more to it than just what it looks like. I guess that's kind of the point we're trying to drive home here. <laughs> well, and the linking together of those outdoor spaces. So bringing it full circle to places like the wharf or, mm-hmm. you know, the yards, how are developers addressing the need for outdoor dining space right. um, with those tenants? And then how are they all threaded together in an artful way that's like experiential for as you're walking past all of it threaded well, together? I mean, so. you could probably answer this and, and know the answer to this, both of you more than I can. But, you know, what I found so fascinating about sort of the boardwalk area mm-hmm. uh, that sort of starts where District Winery is yes. at, in the yards and then scrolls down and goes all the way down to Salt Line mm-hmm. and... Um, uh, Red Hen's new place, uh, all purpose, yeah. you know, and it sort of stops there, but it's this beautiful aesthetic, you know, with gorgeous, very um, arty benches and, mm-hmm. you know, everything is placed beautifully and the landscaping, everything is pretty. Yeah. And I think, well, for me, when everything looks pretty, I want to be there. It's natural. You know, <laughs> I mean, so, you know, like the first time I went to the High Line, I was like, God, somebody really thought this through. Like, they yeah. got it. And that's how I felt the very first time I walked down that boardwalk. And then when you go over now, you know, to the wharf, like, I think it's all going to connect. Mm-hmm. Yes. And when you walk it, you're like, somebody, I just really appreciate people who have vision and who think it through and not like, oh, I'm just going to put a building here and they can just get over it. You yeah. know I, what I mean? I think, yeah. I think the interesting thing to see when it's, when it's complete is that you're going to have, you're going to be walking from, you know, roughly Navy Yard through Forest Cities, sort of, neighborhood right. territory into uh, MRPs and then you know from there into uh, so the Ackridge neighborhood and then into the you know Monty Hoffman. Monty Hoffman's yeah. neighborhood right so you're gonna you know whether or not you're gonna feel like you're going and just for people going, who don't understand he's naming all the developers so that's, that, that is if you're walking <laughs> they are in actual neighborhoods those uh, are the developers it feels, it feels like that sometimes it's like we're going to Douglas well, Jamal's place because you know yeah um, and uh, but they were I mean that's that's kind of the the the, the point of it there is that you know are you going to feel like you're walking doing the epcot around the world um by walking from place to place there are they going to be so you know is there going to be so much disparity between the concepts there that they don't feel like they're kind of unified and that's that's something that i'm interested to see interesting i don't feel like it has to be unified as much as it has to be like we talked about earlier it has to be comfortable it has to be attractive yes you know, and the places that are the most thoughtful in their attractiveness, mm-hmm. I think, for, I, to my taste, are the ones where I'm going to be mm-hmm. because I enjoy that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love, uh, first of all, the fact that that whole entire waterfront was completely unusable space for years is such a crime. And, the, and it's uh, a thrill to me personally, as somebody who's lived here for as long as I have, to see them do it and do it. I mean, it's not 100% right, obviously, nothing ever mm-hmm. is, but to do it. Right, with well, good intentions. And it's public space. I guess that's what I mean by yes. uni- unified is that um, it's not going to become privatized. We're not going to build right up to and not allow you know, that, that pathway through there. I, I think everyone down there has mm-hmm. the best intentions to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to... I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I don't believe I'm hey, gonna do this. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna plug DDOT here, but like the planners of the District of Columbia actually have, you know, there's a plan for doing that, you know, for that that river to be, to be a public amenity now, and I think that's a big thing that you're not really seeing, uh, in Virginia, for instance, on the Potomac. There is no. no there is no connection of Roslyn to. Yeah. They don't care. Uh, it's not that they don't. I don't, it's not that I they don't care. They just. They, they don't have, it's, well, it's been. It's a. I very, mean, there's also money involved. Don't get me wrong. Yes. Yeah. All right. We have to end the show, but go ahead. Say your last name. <laughs> no, I was just going to say the, the waterfront connection is very interesting. So our office is in Georgetown and I took the water taxi <gasps> down to the wharf for the first time is a couple cool? of weeks ago. And I was like, this is rad. I am so in love with this. It's, and it's just seeing your city that I've lived in for almost 18 years in a totally different way. I know. Um, and so I think that's going to be really exciting once all of these, these pieces that Christopher mentioned from all these developers start mm-hmm. to get threaded together. Buzzard Point, very excited to see what they're doing down there. With it's Ackridge exciting. and those guys, I think soccer stadium, it's going to be amazing. I mean, our city is great, but I think exploring the waterfront as transportation is going to change the way that we engage with the city even more. So totally agree with you. My only complaint about the wharf and I'm going to end the show. And my complaint is that clearly they didn't have any women 
advising them on the pathways chosen because it is all cobblestones and I'm wearing eight inch heels. You gotta wear flats, um, girl. No, even in flats. (laughs) I tried wedges. I almost fell and broke my ankle. So anyway, think of women when you're doing your development, please, because we wear heels. And so do some men. So Mm -hmm. um, think about that. Anyway, I want to thank both of you, Christopher Pelly and Allison Cook from uh, Core Architecture and Design for joining me today. This is such an interesting conversation. I hope to have you guys back. Uh, I'd love to say I'm sorry that my husband wasn't here, but I'm really not. Um, so uh, thank you all for listening in. We're in the fabulous Lion Hotel. You've been listening to Industry Night with Foodie and No Beast. Uh, join us next week. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Lion Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C., Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at Full Service RDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.